Some of you may have heard that Thanksgiving is coming up uh, later this week. And uh, so what I would like you to do is just take an opportunity to turn to somebody near you and just let them know that you're thankful that they're here today. So. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. You see, the longer you talk, the less guilty I feel about going long with my sermon. <coughs> so, uh, we are working our way through the book of Galatians, and uh, we've been doing this for a, a while, both in our sermons and in our Bible class, uh, growth groups. And uh, so I hope that uh, you're appreciating a book that perhaps is a little technical in places, a little, little difficult to work through, but uh, uh, I, I hope that it's proving valuable. If you haven't been here and you want to catch up, of course, all the sermons are on the YouTube cha channel, so it's easy to go there and, uh, and catch up or see what you've missed. Uh, but just to, to set the scene, uh, if, for those who, who aren't familiar, is this is probably the first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, so he's begun his missionary journeys. Uh, he's been to this area of Galatia, which is in, today we would say it's in central Turkey. And he's planted some churches there, but these churches are intentional in including Gentiles, including both Jews and non-Jews. And that was Paul's purpose, uh, Paul and Barnabas, from the moment they, they set out on this, this trip. Um, perhaps because we're human and we don't like change, uh, this change raised a lot of questions. And some people were unhappy with it. Um, and, and so it's not, it, it, it is partly, I am sure, uh, the case of prejudice of Jews against Gentiles because it had been so ingrained in them not to have anything to do with them. Um, and so there, there's certainly, I think, an, an undercurrent to this letter that can be applied to our society in situations of prejudice and exclusion that, uh, that, that we may encounter. And Paul is speaking up against that. But, but it's not just prejudice and, uh, and based on ethnicity. There's also this theology that the Jewish Christians have that says Gentiles are not able to be children of God. Okay? It's been that way for thousands of years, right? If you're a Gentile, the only way to become a child of God is to become a Jew. Right? And, and then because Jesus is a Jew, even to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew and then dedicate yourself to following the Jewish rabbi 
Jesus. And so that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. Paul, though, writes and he says, not so fast, right? Not so fast. Because when Jesus died, he fulfilled the law. And, and so nothing that Jesus does undermines his Jewishness. Nothing Jesus does undermines uh, his traditions. Jesus observed the Passover. Jesus observed the different feast days. Jesus went and worshipped in the temple. Jesus was thoroughly Jewish and there is nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, he is introducing the kingdom of God. His message was the kingdom of God has drawn near. And so he says the door is now open in this new era for the people of God, uh, for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to become God's children. And uh, he is arguing very strongly for this throughout the book of Galatians. We have seen this in relation to circumcision. That became the first flashpoint Okay, you want to become a Christian, you need to become a Jew. That means for the men, you need to be circumcised. Okay, that was the first marker. Uh, we also see in relation to food, there was a dispute with the Apostle Peter. Who do you eat with? Who can you eat with? What makes, you know, what about the unclean food or eating with unclean people? Does that corrupt it? So we see food, another one of those boundary markers became a flashpoint. And then today, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, uh, but we, we're going to run into in chapter, as we're in chapter 4 today, um, a mention in, in verse 10, you're observing special days and months, seasons and years. And this is a reference to the Jewish calendar. So he's saying to these Gentile Christians, now you're keeping these Jewish festivals, which in and of itself isn't necessarily a terrible thing. Uh, but if you believe that that's a requirement to be a child of God, now it's wrong. It's those, those Jewish festivals are another identity marker that distinguishes between Jews and Gentiles. So we've had these three issues that are all these identity issues, right? The argument isn't um, what sort of sacrifice should you bring to the temple? The argument isn't about how many times you should wash your hands okay, each day. Or what's the definition of work? <laughs> that, that if you work on the Sabbath, you'll get in trouble. What's the definition of work? It's, it's not those kind of issues. It's what makes you belong, part of God people. Circumcision, food and fellowship. And then we see this mention here of festivals and, and holy days. And so we finished last week at the end of chapter 3 in verse 28. I'm just going to read here. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's no inner circle of Christians. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so he says to the Gentiles, in the process of following Jesus, you've been included in the descendants of Abraham. You don't need these other boundary markers. It is enough that you are following Jesus. 
I want to read these first seven verses now of chapter 4, which will be our primary text today. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. <coughs> Those first couple of verses there, perhaps we, we sort of struggle to, to grasp a little bit. What I'm saying is as long as an heir is underage, he is no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Paul is kind of stretching the point, the metaphor, okay? There is a huge distinction between somebody who is the heir to the estate and somebody who is a slave or a servant in that same household, okay? There's a big difference. Um, However, what they're saying is that neither of them has control of the estate. Neither of them has control of the property or what happens. The the heir in the situation that's described here is somebody whose father has passed away and is now under the sort of the the authority of a trustee. You know, there's a, a trustee of the estate, a guardian of the estate. And so it has a mention there uh, that uh, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So his father had a will of some sort. And he says, when, I'm, when the son is 25 or 30 or 21, whatever, pick a number, uh, then he will take control, he'll take possession of the estate. But until that time... He's under the authority of that trustee, just as the servants in the house are also under authority of somebody above them. And so there's a similarity there between the two of them. Okay, it doesn't mean it's a one-for-one exactly, but it's this idea that, that something's been promised, right? It's yours, but you don't have it, right? It's already yours, but you don't have it, and you can't have it until you reach that particular time. It does you very little benefit uh, until that particular time comes around. And, uh, And so there's a sense when we think of ourselves in our relationship with God, right? We're going to say, oh, we're children of God. Has that changed your life? Sure. I hope. But 
there's still a lot of things that happen to us that might raise questions as to whether or not we're really children of God. Where's our dad when we need him? Right? When the car breaks down on the side of the road. God, why'd you let this happen to me? When we lose the job. When the investment doesn't perform the way we thought it was. It was a sure thing and it didn't happen. You know, when we lose friends and loved ones. We say, God, why is this happening? Why are we living through this? Because there's a sense of, of that already. We're, we're, your, we're your children. But we haven't yet taken full possession of everything that God wants to give us. Right? We don't experience the full kingdom of, of God at this time. And so that's, the, the, it's sort of like we're in probate, right? So I guess that's a, a way of thinking about it. Yes, we're heirs, but we're in this, this period of, of probate, perhaps waiting for it to come to pass. And so Paul continues down in verse 3 and says, So also when we were underage, talking of the Jews, he's talking here to the Jewish Christians, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And so even, he says, for the Jews, throughout history, yes, we were God's people, but it wasn't all rolling in clover, right? There were still hardships. There were still difficulties. We were still attacked by these elemental spirits of the world. So that's sort of, I hope, setting the scene. Now, I, I think what I want to do is just highlight similarities between Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8 that was read for us earlier. And the reason I want to do this is, is that I think it's interesting because uh, Galatians is one of the, is probably the first letter that uh, Paul wrote. And then some years later, he writes this letter to the Romans, the church, churches in Rome. And it's really interesting to see what, what, what I'm going to illustrate to you, the, the correlation between these two letters. And, and so what we're about to read, or, or in these Galatians 4, 1 through 7, I think because Paul kind of makes the same arguments and the same points years later in another letter, um, he was probably teaching the same things throughout that time period. Right? And, and so it says that it's something that's important. Something that in his message... So if, you, if you've listened to a few of my sermons, right? Usually I move from one topic to another topic to another topic to another topic. Right? And we just work our way through in different books of the Bible, different topics. And, and, and yet there are probably things that you say, oh, Peter is mentioning that again. Right? You're probably more aware of them than I am. Peter's bringing that up again. And you could look at those patterns and you could say, that must be important to Peter. Or Peter thinks that that's important for us. And, and so we see this now in, in Paul. That this um, teaching is something that he wants people to know. That's important to him. That he believes it's important for the churches in Galatia, the churches in Rome. And I would suggest important for us to, to know and to understand. So the first one we're going to see it at is actually in chapter 3 um, because that's kind of where the whole section begins. But in verse 24, So the law was our guardian 
until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So he places this limit on the law. The law, the Old Testament, was building towards something. It was building towards um, Jesus. Okay? It wasn't intended to uh, be forever and always for all people. And, and I'm not going to read all of the, the Romans verses, but uh, if you look there, it'll also talk there about limitations of the, of the law. In chapter 4 and verse 4, we see then that God's solution to all this, when the, time, when, uh, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Likewise, Romans 8, God sent his son. Okay. Romans 8 says, why did God send his son to be a sin offering? Slightly different idea here in Galatians 4, but it says to redeem those under the law to to buy back to to bring them back to God it's the same thing as a sin offering does right a sin offering is saying hey we've sinned we want to to restore the relationship we want to make this up and so God sent his son in order to restore the relationship with his people in order to buy people back to pay the price that was necessary as a consequence of that Romans says we're adopted by God and Galatians chapter 4 likewise says in verse 5 to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Okay. And, and, you, and, and so I want to just make this little point here. What's interesting about this is I think you say, oh, oftentimes when we see the word son, we say what that means is people. And so the NIV that I use, it actually frequently says sons and daughters, okay? and, uh, or brothers and sisters. And I think that's a, a good way, inclusive way of understanding that. But here it says adopted for uh, adoption to sonship. And the reason for that is because in their culture, it was the eldest son who received the, the greatest benefit of the inheritance. Okay? And so what Paul is saying is that all of us, men, women, children, receive adoption to sonship. Okay? All of us receive the inheritance. There is no sort of, oh, the men in the church get one inheritance and the women, well, you know, in culture they get a lesser inheritance. They can go marry someone and get whatever inheritance that person got. Then, you know, it's sort of a different setting. He's saying, no, everyone is adopted to sonship. Everyone gets the benefits and the blessings of, of, of adoption and of being God's child. So it's, it's actually, even though it says sonship and is not inclusive, it actually is inclusive of everybody there. Um, and so in response to this, Romans says we cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, Abba is just a, a word of, that's a little more in, intimate. Okay? And so we might say, you know, uh, we probably don't call our father, Father. Right? How are you, Father? Good morning, Father. Right? But it's Dad or Daddy. And, uh, and so likewise, this is a Hebrew, I think Hebrew, Aramaic uh, term, Abba, which means father. 
And so it's a term of intimacy in uh, connecting with, with God. Because we've been adopted, then we can refer to God as Abba, Father. Again, we see this in Galatians as well as in Romans. And then for the last one, okay, we're adopted by God. We cry out, Abba, Father. And as children, we're not just children, we're also heirs. Okay? There's something coming our way. So it's not just relationship, there's also blessing that's, that's going to be given to us. And so all of that is because God sent his son to buy us back, to pay the price that it took, to enable us to be adopted by God so that we can call him other, become his children and also his heirs. So as Romans says, co-heirs with Christ, right? So, so it's not that there is, oh, Jesus is now suddenly a class one heir and the rest of us are class two, you know, sort of welcome to the family. You're the foster kids, the ugly stepchild. You know, no, we are co-heirs with Christ, okay, to God's blessings. And so this, this story, this, this scenario is one that Paul wants us to have deeply ingrained in us, that he would... Say it in his first letter and years later say it in another letter, laying out pretty much the same um, set of, of points, of teaching points uh, for describing our relationship with God. I want to give you another comparison uh, on this because not only does Paul repeat this particular outline, but this outline also correlates to one of the most important, one of the, the central or the central defining events in the history of Israel. And that was their slavery in Egypt and their exodus, their, their uh, escape from Egypt. And so I, I don't have chapters there for the exodus, but the basic story is that they were enslaved, right? God had told Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, you're my people, your descendants and my descendants, I'll bless them, you'll be a great nation. And so they go down to Egypt and they end up a slave. Right? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, we were slaves. Okay? We got a similar starting point here. Now, as part of the escape from slavery, one of the first things God did was he find, seeks out Moses. And he goes to Moses and Moses says, hey, God, we don't even know your name. Like this burning bush, it's real impressive. The throwing the stick down, it turns into a snake. That's going to get people's attention. But we don't even know your name. And Egyptians have lots of gods and they know all their names. God says, my name is I am that I am. And so in verse 9, we're not given a name of God as such, but in verse 9 Galatians, Paul writes to the Christians, and he says, now that you know God. You see, the reason God had to tell his name to Moses is because the people had forgotten who he was. Right? The people weren't sure who he was. He was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That was how they referred to him. He was the God of their ancestors. 
And so God needed to reintroduce himself to them. They had to get to know him again for themselves. And so now Paul says to these Christians, he says, now that you know God, getting to know God is a vital step in coming out of slavery. God then sent Moses back into Egypt, right? To, to go into Egypt, from which he'd escaped. But he says, you've got to go in there so that you can bring my people out. Right? You can't delegate this. You can't do it from the outside. You have to go into Egypt. Risk your life in order to bring my people out. Likewise, God sends his son. Yeah. All right? Christmas is around the corner. That's what we're reminded of. That God sends his son into the world in order to bring people to freedom. Moses, when he's talking to Pharaoh, mentioned this last week, he says, Israel, speaking of, of God's words, Israel is my son. Therefore, you need to let them go and come and worship me and in Galatians we're told that we receive full rights of sons okay that we're adopted that we're part of that family God delivered his people from Egypt from slavery from oppression likewise God in Galatians 4 redeems his people buys them back pays the price and and brings them out of slavery God gave the law 40 days later at Mount Sinai after they came out of Egypt. Um, God doesn't give his law, but he gives his spirit at Pentecost. Right. After Jesus had been on the earth after his resurrection for 40 days, and then they're waiting, and then at Pentecost, God gives his spirit to his, his people, to the church. God then lived among his people. One of the first things they did in coming out of Egypt was to construct a tabernacle. And in the center of that tabernacle, center of the, in the tabernacle, which was in the center of the camp, in the most holy place, God had his dwelling. God lived among his people. And, and we could take that in terms of Jesus coming to earth and living among his people, but also the Holy Spirit continues to live in our hearts, doesn't he? He lives within his people. Not just within the camp, but within his people. God promised Israel an inheritance. He said, I've got something that's coming for you. I, I, we're going somewhere. It's somewhere good. You're my children, and I have something good for you. And doesn't God say the same thing to us? Right? Right? If you're a follower of Jesus, we're, we're not just walking in circles. We're going somewhere. And where we're going is somewhere that is good. He makes us not just his children, but also his heirs. And then I think there's this point that the people wanted to return to Egypt. Right? They tasted freedom. And they're like, I'm not sure. I like this freedom. Okay, I like the freedom. But I wish I had better food. Right? I like the freedom, but I wish I had air conditioning. I, I like the freedom, but I wish my water was fresh. 
I, I liked the freedom, but I'm missing out on stuff. I like the freedom, but I'm missing the parties. I like the freedom, but I'm missing... And you can fill in the blank. And the Galatians are saying a similar thing. They're saying, well, this is great because we were Gentiles and now we get to become Christians and, and this, uh, we can follow Jesus and, and our sins are forgiven and we're adopted and we're part of God's family. But I think we'll go back and we'll keep the law just to be safe. Right? We'll go and we'll convert to Judaism just to be safe. And Paul says, you're missing the point, right? This was our sermon last week. You're missing the point in that Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? And so you're actually undoing the cross because you're saying that following Jesus isn't enough, that you, it's great to have Jesus, but we also need something else. And so just as the people got to the, the border of the promised land and they looked in and they said, oh, that looks so nice. And they said, yeah, no, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll go back to Egypt. That looks hard, right? There's giants, there's cities with big walls. I don't think we can do that. And so these Galatian Christians are doing the same thing, right? Oh, I'm not sure. This is nice. We like it. We're so glad we're part of God's family, but... We just want to make sure. Can we trust Jesus? Can we trust Paul? Maybe we'll go back to something that's familiar because we change is uncertain. And so really what Paul is, is saying is saying to us is you have your own exodus. We experience the same exodus, the same deliverance that God gave to Israel with all the miracles, with the parting of the Red Sea, with the defeating of Pharaoh's army, with the granting of freedom, with the, the presence that he gives them. He says, you have all that. You are not missing out on anything just because you don't share that history with the nation of Israel. Because you have your own Exodus story. You are God's children. And so these two things, these two comparisons, whether it be the comparison with Romans that just says, hey, this is something that's repeated, that makes it important, or whether it be the comparison to the Exodus that was the foundation of Israel's identity, of Jewish identity, that says, yeah, this is important. Paul is saying to the, the Gentile Christians and to the Jews that are thinking about the Gentile Christians, he's saying you are important and you need assurance that you are God's people. You are fully adopted into God's family. You are fully adopted as children of God. You fully receive the benefits of the inheritance. There is nothing that you will miss out on. You are co-heirs, not with the Jews. You are co-heirs with Christ because you are God's children. And he's not just saying it to the people in Galatia. He's saying that to us. That we are God's people, God's children. We are love. We can call God Dad, Abba, Father. Because God is not a distant Father. God is a Father that loves His children, that has laid aside an inheritance for us. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 7 of Galatians is not even the, the cornerstone of the book of Galatians. Okay? But it is packed 
with these concepts for us that describe our relationship with God that I think are are really important for us. And I hope that it's an imagery, a story that we can uh, cling on to and and that it's easy for us to, to grasp. So this isn't, obviously, your typical Thanksgiving sermon, right? Message. Because I don't want to lose my place in this series. But yet there is so much in here that we can give thanks for, isn't there? There is so much in here that we can be thankful for. And that's really the point, right? So to you who are Gentile Christians, be thankful, appreciate what God has done for you. Because you don't need anything more than that, right? Because when we're not grateful, then we say, oh, I want something more, right? And, and, and when we start saying we want something more than what God has already given us, then we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And so he's saying, what you have is good enough. It's different from what the Jewish Christians have, but it's good enough. And so we give thanks for that. We be content with that. And so here's how I'd like to encourage you as we go through this week. And I know it's a busy week for many of us. Uh, A lot of things to get organized, a lot of things to to do, a lot of family, a lot of visiting, a lot of good times, I hope, and good conversations. Is that I would encourage you to pick a, a book. It could be a book of the Bible, it could be a chapter. Pick a passage. Do some reading in your Bible. Specifically, I'd say do it in the letters of of the New Testament. And as you go through, identify some things that you can be thankful for. Right? That that you're told in that passage. Because I think all of us could say, you know, we sort of do this, oh, thank you God for the church. Thank you. And we're going to come to communion. Thank you for everything that you did on the cross. Thank you for the... Right? So that's good. But just look through whatever the passage is that you're reading this week or pick one out. You could do, you know, Somewhere in Galatians, do the whole book, do a chapter. But as you go through, just note things that you can be thankful for. And, and so if we were to do a little bit in, in just these verses, we might talk about we're thankful that we're freed from slavery by Jesus. We're, we're thankful that we've been adopted by God. We're thankful that we've been sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, And as children of God, we're thankful that we're also heirs of God's. Okay, so they're just a few things. Now, you get that list down and you go, well, that wasn't hard. I can be thankful for those. So if you want bonus points, right? And who doesn't like bonus points? If you want bonus points, what I'd say is you've got your notebook, you've written these things you're thankful for in a column. Take a little bit more time and say, why are you thankful for them? Okay. What does that mean to you? So let's pick the first one. Freed from slavery by Jesus. I'm thankful for that because it sounds good. Right? But what does that mean to me? Why am I thankful that I'm freed from slavery by Jesus? What is that slavery? What slavery am I freed from? What does the freedom feel like? How do I experience that? Right? Just take a little time there to, to unpack it and say, why am I thankful for this? Because we can all just come up with a list. 
If we want to sort of deepen that relationship, say, here's one thing. Well, you know, you all received a card, you've given somebody a gift, and they go, thank you very much for whatever. But if they stop and they say, thank you very much for, I really needed that. My other one had just broken. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it was really, it was taking up a lot of time. It was this. And so this just is such a time saver for me. And, and it makes a difference to my week, to my schedule. I've got more time for my family. Like if you get a card back that explains all of that, don't you feel a little warmer on the inside? To say, yeah, I didn't just give them a gift. I gave them a gift that they valued. Right? So it's one thing to look through this list and say, oh, God's given us good things. We're grateful for them. It's another thing for us to stop and say, why am I grateful for them? Okay? Not just because we get stuff. I love the Amazon ad at the moment on the radio, and it's a, a song, and it's all about the stuff you can get at Amazon. That's the word they use, right? Stuff. <laughs> and it's a great song, and it's catchy, and it's like, yeah, get me stuff. It's like, God's not just giving us stuff to fill our house, to fill our garage, to fill our storage unit. God's giving us things that are meaningful, that transform our lives. But sometimes we can treat them like stuff. You can't get freedom from slavery on Amazon. You can't get adoption by God on Amazon. You can't receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit on Amazon. It's not just stuff. And so what difference does it make in your life? Will you take a little bit of time this week to say thank you to God? I think it's a terrific story that Jesus, the death of Jesus, or the redemption, Jesus redeeming us, allows us to become children of God. And um, if we were to go back and we saw last week that this is initiated through baptism, right? It's through making a decision. It's not just something that happens. The people in the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews in Galatian, the Galatian churches, they had to make a decision that they were going to leave their life. They were going to stop worshipping the pagans. And they were going to come and follow Jesus. And it's the same as us. We might say, oh, well, I'm not worshipping any idols. I'm not switching from an idol to Jesus. It's okay, but we still have to make a decision to follow Jesus. We don't just wake up one day and we go, oh, you know, I think yesterday I started following Jesus. (laughs) How'd that happen? (laughs) Your GPS won't give you those directions. We make a decision that this is what we're going to do with our lives. Baptism is part of that. We're told that we know that we're children of God because we have his spirit living within us. And likewise, Peter tells us in in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost that we receive his spirit when we're baptized into Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if that's something that you've been considering or you haven't been considering, that you have a conversation with someone, that you make this decision to become a child of God. The offer is there for all of us. The question is, is this something that I want for my life? Because God wants us to be his children. He's done so much for us so that we can be his children. And in response, we give him our lives and we give thanks. Amen. Amen.